you're never satisfied because you're always moving on to the next project. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of careers, people don't look back. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, what I've learned personally and professionally is to, to think about where I was to where I am today and not where I am today as to where I want to be. Today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is my dear friend, Greg Davies. Greg is the CEO of the CDDC, the Columbus Downtown Development Corporation and Capital South. He has more than 20 years of experience working for the city of Columbus, where he served as chief of staff for Mayor Ginther and helped in multiple roles for Mayor Coleman. He lives in Upper Arlington with his wife, Liz, and has two children, Steph and Anna, and three stepchildren, Ellie, Maddie, and Lottie. And Greg is just a super uh, human. You'll hear a pretty deep story about his life and the many obstacles he's overcome. Obstacles is probably not even the right word. I'm not even sure there are words for what Greg has overcome in his life, but he's inspiring and he's incredibly strong and committed, passionate human being who I love and I am honored to call a friend and spent this time with. So I hope you enjoy getting to know Greg in this way and enjoy him as much as I do. Thank you. We are back on the Gravity Podcast with my good friend, Greg Davies. Greg, it is great to be doing this with you. You and I have had a lot of really great conversations over coffee. We've never recorded any of them, which <laughs> is probably a good thing, but it's just really a pleasure to, to you know, be in conversation with you and to call you a friend and to really have shared a lot together. So I'm happy that we get a chance to do this and record it and share it with, with other people. Well, thank you, Brett. I'm excited to talk to you and always enjoyed talking to you and feel like we get to a really good place when we talk. So I'm excited. Yeah, good. All right. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. I think, you know, you for Columbus listeners, people, you know, know you, you've had some pretty public roles in working with the mayor and now in your current role. But I don't know how much people know about you. I think, you know, one of the things that maybe uh, bonded us is neither one of us really knew that much about the other, you know, and I think oftentimes that's kind of the case, you know, so, you know, I'd love for people to really get to know all of you and start at the beginning and talk a little bit about, you know, your, your early days. Sure. The very beginning, I was born here at Riverside Hospital, and uh, my mom and dad, I was the youngest of four boys. Uh, my oldest was nine years older, five years, and then a year and a half. Uh, my parents divorced when I was seven, so my mom and my brothers lived in the house that we grew up in, and then we eventually moved when I was in fifth grade to Grandview. So two of my brothers and myself and my mom lived uh, in Grandview, and I was there from fifth grade to ninth grade. My mother got remarried, moved out to Ostrander, Ohio. I lived out there for six weeks, didn't, didn't care for the country life, and uh, moved in with my father, who rented a house with my stepmom in Upper Arlington. So, and actually, my freshman year, I went to three high schools in 10 weeks. So, mm. it, was, uh, it was a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I know there was a lot, you know, really going on. I mean, mm-hmm. just, just what you've shared already. I mean, for most people and, you know, I think sometimes coming from a divorced family, myself, my parents got divorced when mm-hmm. I was 10, you know, you kind of just like, that's just what it is. So you don't really think that much of it. It's your life, but there was a lot going on, you know, divorce and, and more, you know, I don't know how much you want to share about kind of what it was like in your home in those, in those, at those times. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember a lot about my oldest brother that was nine years older than me. He had a lot of mental issues and drug addiction issues. And so by the time I moved to Grandview, he wasn't really in my life. And I, he was out of the house even before he, but he didn't graduate high school. So he was kind of, kind of homeless and doing his thing. And we were trying to help him. I wasn't, but my, my mom was, and dad were trying to help and mm-hmm. diagnosed with schizophrenia, but lots of you know, heavy drug use and, and alcohol. And so I never really knew him. And, and he was always kind of a scary uh, entity to me. Mm-hmm. So I was little and there was a lot of, you know, just confusion. Mm-hmm. My brother that was five years older than me moved to Grandview, but he was in high school. So I was in fifth grade. It was very easy to make friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, like you said, you don't really know what's going on, mm-hmm. but he did. And, and it had a real negative effect on on his personality. And, and he later got into a lot of addiction issues. And, you know, after high school, when I was out of high school and graduated from Upper Arlington, I went to Ohio State. And as part of that, did a semester in Spain. My grandmother passed away and left some money and I was able to, to do that. But while I was gone, my brother, who was five years older than me, actually took his life when I was in Spain. Mm. And so, you know, the the, the uncertainty of kind of growing up, it was just normal to me. Honestly, mm-hmm. it wasn't all that, it was horrible, but it wasn't a real big surprise to me because he was very depressed and, mm-hmm. and was, you know, used a lot and mm-hmm. I was a lot younger. So I didn't really consider addiction like I do now, mm-hmm. but, uh, I was just never really happy. And we were, we were close, but we weren't super close. He was a pretty guarded guy. Mm-hmm. And then my brother was in between he and I, uh, he has down syndrome. And so we lived together Till I was, till I moved to Ostrander and then he lives in New Lexington and uh, he's been there since he was about 15 and does great. So he's actually coming home, staying with us for Easter. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, I always joke that when we were growing up, you know, everybody was so sad for my brother. And, and I think in the end of it, he probably had the best life of all of us mm-hmm. in terms of just being happy. And, you know, he's very kid-like, mm-hmm. if you know, if you know mm-hmm. kids or adults with Down syndrome, they're mm-hmm. just super happy. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. And so it's always provided kind of a empathy for me and, and guidance for me when we lived, we lived in an apartment in Grandview and he and I shared a bedroom and shared a bed mm-hmm. and, and I slept with the light on for, for five years with him in my bed because he was afraid of the dark. Mm. So you just learn again, to me, that was normal. Yeah. Looking back, obviously we could feel differently, but it bonded me with him in a way mm-hmm. that I'm still bonded to him. But more mm-hmm. importantly, it just just made me realize that, you know, I was very fortunate to have what I had. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly great that you've kind of landed in that spot where you can see the gratitude and, and, you know, the benefits of, of having that experience, you know, but I'm kind of curious, you know, what you just said is any one of those things could be a, a lot for for one person, you know, when you think about, you know, having a brother, brothers with addiction, you know, a brother with Down syndrome, you know, the moving around, you know, and, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, kind of make it something it's not, but 
I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, when you were a teenager, you know, and you're in college and, you know, you're getting this horrible news, like, what were you doing with your life, you know, at that point, were you just like building up this like resilience and, and you mentioned the empathy, you know, how did, you know, were you just going about your, your life, like continuing to plow forward? What was it like for you when all that, you know, stuff is happening? Yeah, I guess part I left out when I was a sophomore at Up Arlington, I moved there, been there about a year in, in my same part my best friend from Grammy, we stayed in touch and he had taken his life when he was, he had just turned 16. And so that was, that was really traumatic. I know mm. that sounds odd, but in a lot of ways it was more traumatic for me than when my brother passed because mm -hmm. it was just so shocking mm. and, and just unbelievable. Mm. And I was in a school district where I wasn't with our friends and, you know, the folks in Granby were getting counseling and doing all that stuff. And I was, you know, felt very alone going to school at Upper Arlington. Mm -hmm. I didn't have much you know, social life, didn't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. All my brothers were gone. So it was, that was really, really hard. And, but I do remember my dad taking me to that funeral. And I, I remember, you know, walking in and, and seeing his brother and seeing his parents and, you know, going to the front. And I just remember, you know, I just really don't ever want to sit up there. Mm -hmm. You know, as sad as I was, I, for whatever reason, I just knew that, you know, that was, that was life altering for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that empathy we talked about some, you know, so you're just born with it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's great sometimes it hurts at other times. But mm -hmm. so when my brother died, um, you know, I, part of the reason I wanted to go to Spain was just, I wasn't a good student. Mm -hmm. I went to Ohio state back when they had to take you. Cause I lived in Ohio and mm -hmm. I had a 2.0 grade point average. So mm -hmm. probably couldn't go there today right. given what I did in high school. But there was just part of me that always felt, and I, I can't identify you and I've talked about, I don't know if it was God, I certainly wasn't religious. I wasn't spiritual, but there was something in me that told me there was, there was good coming mm -hmm. if I could hold on. Mm -hmm. And so certainly I was, I was bitter. I was resentful. Mm -hmm. I was angry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of that came out, um, mm -hmm. but I don't know, something in me said, hang in there mm -hmm. and I got to college. It took me six years to get out of Ohio state. Mm -hmm. I took a whole year off and just kind of I was paying for it. So it was, was working. I didn't live on campus. So it was, you know, college to me was, was one giant <laughs> exercise and determination. It was mm -hmm. not, you know, yeah. and I, you know, I've two kids of my own and three stepchildren, they all go to college and mm -hmm. to them, as it should be, it's just a normal process of life. And right. We get to live there and go out and not work and, right. you know, parents pay for tuition. And to me, yeah. college was the exact opposite. You know, I need to balance that with my kids now because I get kind of resentful. Like, mm -hmm. well, this sucks. Like, you don't know what sucks is, but mm -hmm. nor should they. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's always been a struggle for me is maintaining my, my past emotions and not imparting that to my children. Because mm -hmm. as any parent, the goal that we set out for was to have our kids have better lives than we had. Mm -hmm. And I accomplish it and then I'm mad. Mm -hmm. And that's clearly my issue. Mm -hmm. And so I struggle with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sure. But college wasn't, wasn't a ton of fun. So when he died, it was just... I just buried it and ignored yeah. it. And um, honestly, mm -hmm. and then when I was 21, I worked at Max and Irma's on the old Max and Irma's on Kenny and Henderson road. Mm -hmm. It's no longer there. And I met my first wife and she was just graduating Ohio state. She was occupational, going to be an occupational therapist. She had a family Catholic, everything that I thought was normal. Mm -hmm. I saw in her. And I just, you know, was very attracted to this could be a normal relationship. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of romantic relationships that lasted. And so it was, it was great. She was 
you know, just super cool, pretty. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, on the surface, I was so insecure about myself that I, you know, I think I overlook other people's mm-hmm. faults, but struggles. Yeah. And so, but anyway, we, we, you know, we got married when I was 24 mm-hmm. and I graduated college that same year. So I graduated college in August, got married in October. We bought a house the following June and I got my first professional job that August. So within a year, all the major stressors, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of occurred. And all of a sudden I was off in this life that I thought was going to solve all my problems. And I think we both realized after a few years of marriage, like everybody does, like, oh, this, it's not different. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're trying to figure that out. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's kind of get into that. You know, I, I think I'm curious about the going back to, you know, when your brother takes his life and, you know, you admittedly just, you know, bury it. And I think it's really honest, you know, and probably uh, not that uncommon to, you know, bury stuff that's so big. And, and then like, you know, you go on and see somebody who looks like maybe, you know, you didn't say this, but sounds to me like an escape, like into this normalcy, right? Like you're like, you're searching for normal, which makes sense, right? When you're having so much shit go on, like all you want is like some peace, really some, some normality in your life, right? To have things go smoothly, maybe. And you are looking for that and, and, and find your wife and then the job. And like, this is what we do. That's what I did too. You know, you're like, all right, I'm going to get into this life and this life is going to then solve all my problems. It'll be all that I'm really looking for. But in reality, there's a lot of shit that got buried along the way that doesn't just stay down forever. I mean, it's going to come up one way or another. So I'm kind of curious, you know, as you start to get into this, you know, big boy life, marriage, work, you know, with, with what you're bringing forward and, and not to mention, you know, and the truth is that, you know, I'm assuming like anyone, your partner isn't exactly who you thought it was, right? It's not all as normal as maybe you had hoped and they're bringing their stuff too. So yeah, that, that's going to get a little messy, maybe a lot. Yeah. That's all completely accurate and describes kind of how it went. Yeah. When I first started working, I was very, you know, insecure. And, and, you know, when I grew up with my father in in high school, we weren't particularly close in high school and he was an alcoholic and he was very difficult to live with. And he was very, very hard. So, you know, I, at an early age learned uh, codependency. And so I was very like, what do we need to do to make dad happy today? Mm -hmm. You know? And so you feel like you're inferior. You feel like you're stupid. You're going to all these high schools and just all that uncertainty, I definitely did not feel like I was on the ball. So when I met someone that I felt was, you know, I used, fell into that role of she was too pretty for me. She was too successful for me. Why would she want to be with me? You know, but this is as good as I'm ever going to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I loved her and I, I'm not, you know, I wanted to get married, mm-hmm. but yeah. And then I thought all that would change. And I had never, you know, all the things that happened, I had never seen a therapist. I had never talked to anybody about my emotions. You know, my family just didn't talk about that. We certainly didn't have the resources to do that. It wasn't as common. And so as time went on, you know, uh, I, I just kind of fell into that. And I guess, you know, there's about 10 years I really don't remember very well. And it's not from drugs or alcohol. It's just it's that, you know, we had two kids. 
mm-hmm. you know, five years after marriage, I'm a first kid and then a daughter three years later and you just got caught up in that, mm-hmm. you know, that whole cycle. Mm-hmm. You're just on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. But from a work standpoint, you know, I was always pretty insecure about what I was going to do and started in journalism. Ended up going to the city as a spokesperson back in 1999 when Mayor Coleman, former Mayor Coleman, took office. Mm-hmm. Had the good fortune of connecting with his people and slowly but surely worked my way up, you mm-hmm. know, through a number of jobs. But I was really focused on the career. But, you know, the, the good thing about being insecure and not feeling good about what you're doing is I worked really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize till I was older and in a place where I was managing people how valuable what I did was. Because mm-hmm. I just assumed everybody had the same work ethic and the same mm-hmm. drives. And, you know, I was just doing it more of wanting to please people and out of fear. Mm-hmm. And found out I was pretty good at the political mm-hmm. world and different things and made mm-hmm. myself available and eventually became Mayor Coleman's deputy chief of staff and his public utilities director. And as you know, when Mayor Ginther came in, I was his first chief of staff. And I think it was at that point that I thought, you know, I, I might have something here. I might actually be pretty good because Mayor Ginther was really the first person who sought me out. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because that's, that's how far into your career when you start to first realize, like, maybe I have something. Yeah, I was probably 44. And you, and yeah, you were with Coleman for how many years? All 16. 16 years. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And, and I'm intrigued by, and maybe it's just because I like relate to it, you know, this idea of being insecure and then like pouring yourself into your work and how it sort of like turns out to, in many ways, fuel a lot of your success, right? You don't see yourself that way. You don't really know that's what's happening when it's happening. But the truth is, is having like a need to be validated or to prove yourself or, you know, gain some confidence or, you know, an insecurity that's underneath it all drives you to work hard. You know, I mean, in my case, like I didn't think I was as smart as anybody else. And, you know, I didn't have a fancy degree. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just, I just worked really hard and I had this idea of what I wanted to have as a life that, you know, I, I kept like fighting for and, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing how like maybe to a point, I think, you know, it's up to a certain point, it can actually be pretty fueling to be insecure in, yeah, in a way. For sure. Right. I mean, it's up to a point because if you're constantly trying to validate and prove yourself, you know, at a certain point, that's, you know, unhealthy. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, over those years of working my way up, you know, the, the difficult part was always, like I said, when we, I don't know how most people are, but when we got married, we, we were in certain roles mm-hmm. and, you know, people evolve and certainly, you know, I don't think anybody would have bet on me that knew me when I was 18, that I'd be where I am now professionally, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think when you, when you meet someone at that age, you know, we just stayed in those roles. So as, as, it, as it went on, you know, I guess I became a little more resentful that I wasn't getting in my mind, the credit. Mm-hmm. that I deserved for working harder and making more money and becoming mm-hmm. more successful. I was almost resented or jealous. Of, you know, that's how I felt mm-hmm. was my insecurity. Mm-hmm. And so that was always a struggle, you know, and then work, just what we did, you know, I attended bar and was in politics, you know, alcohol was always a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I drank quite a bit 
mm-hmm. you know, during those years. And that became a way to kind of shut out what you said earlier, the mm-hmm. stuff that you bury, I thought I'd worked through mm-hmm. or I'd outgrown. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a better way to but put it. But you like intellectually, like you knew what happened. Yes. Right? I could talk about it and I could intellectualize right. it and I could be somewhat of a victim about it, but I didn't let it bring me down, even though it was manifesting in other ways. I just mm-hmm. didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating because we don't know it at the time, you know, just can't, you know, you're operating at the level of consciousness that you're at and you think you have things compartmentalized and that you're focused, you're in your career, you're having some success, you're trying to balance things at home and you're having drinks, right. And, and, you know, was in your family, right? It's, it's also not just in the family. It's like societally everywhere. And, and I don't know if it's, if that's true in in the world of politics or if there are other, right. And people in your role, like, you know, it's tough job. It's a, it's a grind really tough. I mean, you're on all the time and, you know, a drink probably was what you felt you needed at the time, you know? And in reality, you know, it was only going to get you so far. Yeah. And, and one of the things, honestly, one of the first times you and I talked, you know, it kind of dawned on me, you know, um, you know, I drank because I thought people liked that personality better because I didn't really think people based on my high school and college and losing my brother, I always thought it was me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to the drinking, the personality talked to a lot of people. I could be obnoxious, you know, I could be loud, but mm-hmm. I always thought that's what people wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't think they liked, and I, and I lost sight of who I really was, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So I became, as I got success with this, I thought, Hey, it's working. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it works till it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it really did. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to be something that I didn't have the confidence to be uh, on my own the alcohol and that new personality. I was able to survive. And I did have a therapist tell me years later, you know, describing that phenomenon she said you know what happened as a result of your childhood you know your two brothers are more that's a more common outcome the -hmm. fact that you survived and are here where you're at today is is an anomaly Mm. and so that personality that you created to protect yourself from all the trauma that you had was really smart Mm -hmm. but now it's turning on you Mm -hmm. and it's taking you down yeah and so you got to go back to who you were before you created this person, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not this, that makes sense. And, and that was, you know, kind of, as you know, I, I, I'm sure we'll get to it, but it's been six years, a lot of therapy and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I can see that now, but I didn't obviously when yeah. I was in it. I thought I'm getting promoted. I'm getting better jobs. I'm getting more responsibility. I'm making more money. So mm-hmm. obviously I'm, this is working. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to make matters more complicated, when you, when you are told to go back to that person who you were and you don't really even know who that person yeah. is, you know, most people just, you know, say, fuck it. You know, that's, I don't even want to try to figure that out. It's too hard. Yeah. You know, to actually go back and go, well, who am I? Yeah. Right. I don't even know who I am, you know, anymore. What's at my essence, you know, who am I really? Yeah. And then choosing to try to find that and be that is tough, tough work. And, you know, I'm curious about, you know, kind of what happens up until the point where you decide that you are going to do that work. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe even just to back up a little bit, you know, 
I'm kind of curious about the path in politics. You know, you were in journalism, you know, maybe that was, you know, first job out of college kind of thing. But, but I know, I mean, I know enough about you to know, like, that was actually something that was of interest to you still mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you like to write. So I'm kind of curious if you just kind of, you know, let's back up a little bit. Talk about that, like that 16 years, the path to it and the 16 years of being in that role, you know, and, and I mean, listen, you know, I know all the parties here too, not as well as you do, but, you know, as somebody in this community, I've seen both Mayor Coleman and Mayor Ginther do their things and boy, a lot has happened mm -hmm. under their leadership and you were there for all of it, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know, maybe you could just talk a little bit about life, you know, in that, in that job. Yeah. I was an English major and I always just really was drawn to reading and writing. And, uh, that was the easiest way for me to get a degree. Honestly, I just thought that's what I excel at. And I'll do that and thought I'll just be a writer. And obviously it's harder than it looks. So I got a job at Suburban News Publications. They were actually owned by the other paper in Columbus Monthly. So I eventually worked my way up to those two publications. That's where I met then Council President Coleman, a bunch of the other people that are involved and in, still involved in the community today. Um, I was tending bar three nights a week to make money because I was making zero dollars and that was causing stress at home. And we had a baby. And, uh, you know, so I tried to get a job at the dispatch, some dailies, couldn't just a really long year. Mm. Couldn't, couldn't get jobs, kept finishing second in these public relations jobs, like spokespeople at the city, which is where I wanted to go. And they said, you need public relations experience. So I went to work for a firm for a year, uh, eventually got a job at the city in public utilities as a spokesperson. And once I was there, I thought, okay, I'm making decent money. I got benefits and you know, I'll just live life for a while. Kluka got bored, thought I can't do this for 30 years. There's a lot of great people that work in government for a long time. I realized I couldn't do the same thing over and over. So I made friends with people in Mayor Coleman's office and just said, how can I help? So mm -hmm. through volunteering, knocking on doors, doing all the stuff that people don't want to do, you know, they began to include me in things. Mm -hmm. And then they realized public utilities, as you know, doing what you do professionally is a very important department for the mayor and the city. And it was good to have someone they knew and understood their world. So I became that liaison. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, people would leave and I just kept moving up, went to the development department, ran a bond campaign, just kept making myself useful. And then Mayor Ginther, or I'm sorry, Mayor Coleman asked me to be his deputy chief of staff. And that was where I really felt like I was getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Mayor Coleman, you know, did so much for me. Like he, mm -hmm. I think he's such a great mayor. And I think mm -hmm. people that are now in Columbus and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in charge of downtown now and, and run it, not in charge, but you mm -hmm. know, my job is to help develop downtown. And mm -hmm. I think people forget how far we've come and, oh and, and God, he yeah. deserves so much credit to your right. earlier point. So yeah. it was great working yeah. for him and I learned so much. And then he made me his public utilities director, which was great because I got to go back where I started, mm -hmm. which was really odd because as I said, people remember you in the role they meet you. So <laughs> there was a lot of people that didn't think I could do that job and were yeah. probably hoping I would fail. And there was a lot of people that wanted me to succeed. And, you know, that was a really good experience for me because I, I don't think, you know, I was the prototype, but by the time I was done, I think everybody for the most part would agree. I, I was successful at it. So mm -hmm. that gave me a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe you could just speak a little bit about what appears like in each job that you were saying yes to getting elevated into, you really didn't have any experience doing those no. things. Right. No. So, you know, 
is it is it the work ethic is it the determination is it you know courage like you end up being very successful in each one of those jobs i mean it's this isn't a handout here you, yeah. you you're yeah. moving up for yeah. for performance reasons right but but you know i don't talk about like how you see that yeah it was it was very nerve-wracking i think everybody has that point in their career where they're put in a position that they're either going to be successful or not and um, I, I think what i discovered as i got older is i did have a skill but that skill comes so naturally to me like most mm -hmm. people that are good at something they say i don't understand why you can't do it and managing people and interacting with people. And maybe it's part of how I grew up and trying to make everybody happy and juggle everything. Mm -hmm. I just can stay very calm in a chaotic world. And mm -hmm. I can see your point of view, your point of view, mm -hmm. the other person's point of view and come to consensus. Mm -hmm. And I think that, especially in government, you're trying to land in the middle. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't be either or in government. You have to serve everybody, but you do have to make decisions. And so I think my ability to, to manage, make people feel included, just works. Mm -hmm. And the truth is public utilities has 1300 people and they all have a role and they're all trained and they're all really good at what they do. And my job is not to do any of their jobs. And mm -hmm. that's where the mistake is of people who thought I would fail. My job is to manage them mm -hmm. and to support them. And if I support them, they're going to support me. Mm -hmm. And that's in large part what I attribute to my success there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the thing that I probably get most energized by you know, in doing these interviews is, is in why this format is what it is, you know, which is sort of an accident, but, you know, I can really, it's really clear to me that you have used the, your life experience in your career, right? That you are comfortable in chaos. You know, you aren't going to be easily frazzled, you know, I mean, you've, you've been through a lot. It was mm -hmm. part of your, your upbringing and, you know, the environment that you were in. And so getting into a world like politics or even the role you're in now, where there's like a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved and a lot of personalities involved and, you know, things aren't easy to just, it's not straightforward. You got to mm -hmm. really like be in it and you got to figure it out and you got to work together and, you know, you got to like be strong, you know, it's got to be a skill that you've built along yeah. the way too. And we'll get back to where there's cracks in that, right? Sure. Because there are, right. Sure. Nobody is like that strong all the time, right. you know, in every aspect of their life, but, you know, you have been able to use it to, uh, you know, create your, your life also. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably the thing I've learned the most recently. And when I became chief of staff, that was a, that was a job. That was the first job. I was really, really excited about the job. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a big fan of Mayor Ginther. Mm -hmm. He was council president. We had somewhat become, I wouldn't say friends, but we did things together socially and, mm -hmm. and I knew him on council and I respected him, liked him and kind of knew a little bit about his story. And so when he asked me, you know, maybe a year out before he was even elected to take that role, when he got elected, you know, that was, that was a real great day. Mm -hmm. That was, you, you were know, excited. I didn't get a lot of that by family. Like a lot of people talk about, yeah. you know, the parents being proud of him or whatever. That was, that was very much like when Eric Holman or American third put that upon me. I, I felt like, wow, mm -hmm. I did something good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, not again, not fully valuing. There's a reason they asked you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. It's not to make you feel good. It's to be successful. Yeah. 
And, you know, and that was the first time I realized, okay, I do have value. Yeah. But then you talk about fear and, you know, trying to, and you think about, okay, I got to run the whole city. Mm -hmm. What's that look like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No idea. Yeah. And you just, you just trust the process. You get great people around you. Mm -hmm. And Mary Ginther just has an unbelievable ability to pick people, mm -hmm. to set his vision clear. He, he stays out of it for the most part. He's not like mm -hmm. super in your business, but you're going to deliver. And what yeah. he asks for, if you deliver it, there's not a lot to say either way. Right. He's very straightforward. Yeah. And I worked really well in that environment. Yeah. So he and I had a really good rapport. Yeah. And I would have, you know, still will do anything for him because I, I think he's a great person. Yeah. Aside from being a great mayor. Yeah. And uh, obviously I'm biased. But. Yeah. No, no. Well, I mean, you're biased, but you also happen to know him yeah. in a way that, that not many people do. But back up a little bit, you know, you get that nod, you know, you get, you get tapped that, you know, you're going to step up into this role. And, you know, I was just kind of struck by like the idea that you're like now running the city. Yeah. Right. And, and that is like, a, well, if you've not done that before, then, you know, you yeah. don't really know what that means. No. And, and so do you just kind of like, just jump in? And also, you know, there's this thing that, you know, you've mentioned you know, that I think is really important, which is that you don't see yourself as like this person that has this skill set that's really valuable. And I think that's in large part because the skills that you have maybe aren't necessarily the ones that like in our minds and maybe in the mind of society or whoever else are the ones that we thought were most valuable. Yeah. Right. Like you don't have the grades, you don't have the credentials, whatever bullshit, you know, that people right. are looking at, right. Some fancy suit tie, whatever it is, right. Like pedigree, yeah. right. You're none of those things. No. So it may be in your mind. And I, I guess I think I've been guilty of this, so I don't know how you feel, but like in your mind, you're thinking, well, I'm none of those things. And that's what people think is smart and, you know, success looks like. And you don't really appreciate that in reality, like being able to talk to people like authentically, like, you know, get past the bullshit, get straight to, you know, what the desired outcome is and like, then work your ass off to get there. Like that's actually really important, valuable skill, you know, that you actually did have. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that how you were seeing it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, at the time, his, his current chief of staff, Ken Paul, worked with him when he was on council and led his council office. And so when you asked, how'd you do it? You know, he and I literally would do our day job and then get together and figure out before he got elected, mm -hmm. what's this look like when he gets elected, if he gets elected? Mm -hmm. And so we just worked. We, worked. Just, we just worked and we yeah. were overwhelmed and we interviewed a million people and a million people wanted job. You know how it is. Mm -hmm. Once it became clear he was going to be mayor, then everybody came out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. right? And then, then you're when they identify you, you're going to be the chief of staff, then everybody comes out. Mm -hmm. And so it was mm -hmm. just managing that. So we got a group of people that we trusted, a lot of his campaign people and politics is really a trust is, is really a trust thing. You can be to your earlier point, you could be the smartest Ivy league person in the world, but if you're not loyal and I can't trust you, you have no value to me in the, in this role. Mm -hmm. So we had a, a kitchen cabinet of outside folks and we had an internal folks and we would just meet all the time and, and do it. But a lot of it was just, you did it. Mm -hmm. And what I like about that job and the jobs I've had is 
there's not a lot of long-term planning in my role. My role is just day-to-day, day-to-day, day-to-day. There's a fire, mm-hmm. put it out. There's another fire, put it out. And, you know, people always say, what do you do in a day? Never what I planned. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, and that, I like that. I like, it's overwhelming, it's stressful, but I like that chaos. Mm-hmm. And so that did serve me well, but it was also very, you're never satisfied because you're always uh, moving on to the next project. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of careers. People don't look back. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, what I've learned personally and professionally is to, to think about what, where I was to where I am today and not where I am today as to where I want to be. And if I really, you know, think about how blessed I am, how lucky I am, how grateful I am, even with everything that's happened, it's real easy to feel sorry for yourself. I get there pretty quickly now, whereas mm-hmm. I didn't used to. I mm-hmm. would stay in that drink, knock it back, mm-hmm. you know, move on, distract myself. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was good. But, you know, when I took that role, um, you know, I talked to my then wife at the time and said, hey, this is going to be the worst four years, probably personally, that we're going to have because I'm going to be, you know, married to the city, essentially. Like, this is my priority. Mm-hmm. kids were older and I wanted it. You know, I knew that if I did that job well for four years, it was going to set me up mm-hmm. for what I wanted to do, whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I said, we just need to, you know, glad, you know, get through these four years together. The financial reward will be great. The, you know, all that stuff, the kids will be out. And that's, you know, when you ask what, what I wanted when I got married, I wanted, I wanted to someday get to a point with my family where we were grown and it wasn't like my current family and, and, and I could enjoy that. Mm-hmm. That was really the goal. That's what I set out to do when we started, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously didn't get there. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was just thinking, you know, of the saying, you know, we make plans and God laughs, you know, <laughs> you know, here you are now in this, this job that's going to set you up. Right. And everything is, you know, Although you, you know, it's going to be a tough road ahead, but you know, you're seeing some daylight at the end of the tunnel now, like, you know, you've kind of arrived. So, you know, obviously that's not how it goes. So, you know, share what you can there. Yeah. So trying to get the times all straight, but I became chief staff mayor had his inaugural. We did the first year and that was, that was definitely as hard as I've ever worked in my life that first year. And then went into the second year, you know, my wife, at the time was, was an occupational therapist, worked in a school district, did that for like 25 years. And you know, every, every year around spring, she'd, she'd get tired of it and say she wanted to do something different. And so that year it came around, it was 17. She's like, hey, I'm just not happy doing this. And you know, we were to the point, I was to the point where I just wanted to be happy. And I encouraged her, hey, you don't need the money. Why don't you quit? You get paid through the summer because you work in a school district. Take some time to think about what you want to do. I've got connections in the community now. Let's, let's figure this out together. And she was totally excited and happy and quit her job. And that was probably May of 17. And then about a month later, she just was like super anxious about having done it. We went back into the cycle of, you know, I'd been married 24 years at the time. So I was getting a little resentful, like, Hey man, I've really been working hard on this and doing all this and busting my ass. You got to do something. Like, I don't, I mean, at the time I felt you know, I felt like it was, it was getting put on me. And, uh, um, she was a very raised Catholic, very, very, didn't talk a lot, didn't share a lot of emotions, didn't do a lot. So I never, I always felt that my emotions and my, the things we're talking about now, we just didn't talk about. We just, she didn't believe in therapy. She didn't believe in all that. And I just thought that's because I'm messed up. She's got it together. And then, you know, one day in June, 
went golfing with a friend, went in the morning and, and I woke up and she wasn't in bed. And I went downstairs and she was on the couch and she was uh, wide awake and said, Hey, what's going on? It's like 6 a.m. But she's just very despondent and she just was giving me a hard time. And she's like, I really wish you weren't leaving today. And, and I said, well, you know, this has been planned for three months. This guy I haven't seen in a while. I'll be back. We were going to the zoo fundraiser that night. I said, just go upstairs, go to sleep. And when I get, by the time you wake up, I'll be back, go work out, whatever. We're going to have a great time. We were going to Miami two days later. And uh, so, you know, I tucked her in, got her a pillow and a blanket, and she just looked up at me again. And she's just like, I really wish you weren't leaving. And it just pissed me off. And I, and I left. And when I was driving home with my friend, my daughter called me and, and asked me where I was. And I was about 15 minutes out. And I said, why? She said, mom tried to hurt herself. And I said, well, did you call the police? And she said, they're here. So I just was like, okay. You know, she hung up. And so I looked at my friends. We got, we got to get to my house. So we were going down 315 and getting close to Riverside. And he said, ask your daughter if we should go here, go home. So I texted her and she just texted home. And that's when I knew, you know, things might be worse than, than I initially thought. And so I got home and uh, pulled in the driveway and there was neighbors, cops, ambulance, everything you never want to see when you come home, you know, and walked out of the car and walked up to the door and there was a police officer and he, he kind of got in my face. He's like, who are you? And, and I said, I'm the husband. And, and he kind of steadied himself. And then I knew, I said, my daughter said that my wife tried to hurt herself. He nodded. I said, she's successful. And he nodded. Mm. And uh, he said, you need to go and talk to your daughter. So I went in and uh, my youngest was 16. She'd come home, found her, you know, and it's real blurry after that. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, on the, on the way home, I had called my oldest who was working. It was my son at the time's transgender is now my daughter. Someone referred to as she. I'd forgotten I'd called her on the way before I knew what had happened. And so we were talking to the police and all that. She parked. And so I had to meet her in the, in the yard. And it was awful. Yeah. It was, you know, I used to think I've hated a lot of people. I would never wish it on the person I've hated the most in my life. It was very hard, but it was surreal. Yeah. So, you know, it's harder, harder now to talk about it looking back. So I talked to the police and, uh, you know, I wanted to see her. And uh, for whatever reason, this person just showed up at my house that I guess when suicides occur, they volunteer to go and meet with people because they're in shock like I was. And he said, the police said, you want to see your wife? And I said, I do. And he said, you don't you go out back and uh, let them take her out. So I never saw her and I'm glad. Thank you for sharing that, sure. Greg. You know, I, we've talked about it before and I know it's never easy to talk about. And I don't know if you've talked about it publicly before, you know, but mm, really, I appreciate you sharing it. And I just, uh, you know, I don't want to skip past that, uh, but I, uh, I know where you stand today, which mm -hmm. is, you know, something we'll, talk about but you know it's just it just moves me every time to think about the pain and and that scene um and the fact that you are where you're at today you know and i know it's not been a straight line mm -mm. and we can talk about all of that but god bless you man like it's it's you are you're a special person and i know you don't see yourself that way you don't even like to hear somebody say that probably but you know you you 
you did have those conversations with your kids, mm -hmm. right? And you keep having, you keep showing up, you know, and that is not normal, you know? <laughs> and I just, you know, I'm so inspired and honored, you know, yeah. to know you that not, way. I appreciate you know? that. And, and, you know, I've come to learn that it's okay for people to tell you they're proud of you and they're, yeah. they're happy for you. And, uh, you know, honestly, the main reason I'm talking to you other than, you know, I love you as a friend is, you know, if I can help somebody yeah. and be an inspiration to somebody, you know, great, yeah. because it is possible to move forward. And, you know, really it was more, you know, people always ask, how'd you do it? Mm -hmm. What choice did I have? Yeah. Like either I was going to not do it and I had two kids, you know, and trust me, a lot of me didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know, my kid was both, were, one was a Jeep going into junior year in high school and my oldest was going into a junior year of college in Philly. And so we had that summer, you know, the thing, the other thing people don't fully appreciate and understand, you know, it happened in my house. My daughter found her. Um, we couldn't go back to the house. So that summer I had to move, I had to get my other daughter back to college, I had to get him in therapy, I had to get myself in therapy, I had to do all the state financial, all that shit. I had to put mm -hmm. it all down, put it all to bed, get a new place to live, make sure it was in the school district I was in. Mm -hmm. And I was chief of staff <laughs> and God bless the mayor. And the, you know, he was, I don't like to talk about other people because it's their story to tell, but I, I do think it's important when that day occurred, you know, the mayor came to my house and he stood in my driveway from two 30 to nine 30 and didn't say a word. He just stood there. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard for me to separate, you know, the friendship. And so when people say something about them, I get it. We're all mm -hmm. open to it. It's politics. I don't, mm -hmm. but for anybody that is on the fence about him, he's mm. no one else did that one. Yeah. And he stuck by me at work and anyway, yeah. allowed me to move forward. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But you know, what that led to was I promised my kids, you know, I'd be there and do it. And everybody told me get through a year, first Christmas, first birthday, first, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you'll be, you'll be better. So I did and it wasn't. And the first anniversary just coincided with father's day. So it was, you know, it was just really bad. And, uh, you know, I'd begun drinking a lot. I drank a lot before that. Certainly not saying that her death caused me to get to where I got, but mm -hmm. eventually it got overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I did seek help and went to rehab and, you know, haven't had drinks. And so that was really good. Mm -hmm. But that was also really, again, it was to the point where I said, do you want to live or do you want to die? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wanted to live Yeah, and it sucked, but here I am. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think part of what I find to be so moving is that you wanted to live. You know, suicide is a, is a really powerful event, you know, even just to witness from a distance. I had a, a friend's father who committed suicide when I was like, I don't know, maybe 12 years old and I'll never forget you know, my friend's brother walking up the driveway when we were playing basketball, he found out, you know, and, and it was a, a friend, you know, one of my best friends, but my friend's father, mm -hmm. right? And it's a scene, you know, the driveway scene that I remember. And, and you've had it, you know, few times. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I'm just like, you know, the, but again, you know, you wanted to live. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know. I just think, you know, that I don't know where that comes from. You know, what inside you? I mean, I don't know if it's your kids, if it's just life, if there was something else that, you know, has you not just wanting to live, but like get help too, you know? Or maybe you can talk a little bit about that and maybe, you know, what what got you to want to go get help. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't really articulate what, what drives me. Uh, certainly my kids now, you know, early, it was, I guess you just call it faith, mm-hmm. you know, just faith in myself, faith that the world was worth living for, mm-hmm. faith that it would turn around. Um, you know, the kids, you know, you talk about me, to me, my kids are really the ones that have <laughs> borne the brunt of this. Um, and that's what, what tears me up and, you know, is my whole goal with, with my first wife and was her goal. And, and again, no, no blame, but the goal was to get these kids trauma free, which is impossible, but less than I had through life. And, and then I had worked so hard to do that. And I felt like she, she had kind of, you know, she knew that and, you know, she kind of violated my, my right to not my right, my desire to do it and, and her desire to do it. And she, you know, she was a better mom than I was a dad in terms of loving those kids and providing. And so, you know, the hardest part for me and, you know, I think if you ever talked to anybody that knew me and, and knew my first wife, the hardest part for them is just, it's just so shocking. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was just so out of the blue. I can look back and see signs now, but mm-hmm. if you, you know, I would have bet everything I've ever made in my life and everything I'd ever make, that that would never happen. Yeah. So for someone that was accustomed to suicide and looked for signs, I talked to my kids about it before. Mm-hmm before any of this, because I just, it made me nervous Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times people don't think that could happen. Yeah. And I knew it could happen. Yeah. But that was the one person I didn't think it would happen. And so that was really hard because my kids, especially my youngest, didn't want to think anything bad about her mom. And I don't think badly about her, but there is a part of me as a partner and someone who invested all that, that you kind of left me holding the bag and Mm -hmm. I can still love you and still feel hurt by you. And that's what, you know, the conversation I was trying to have with my kids is we are all going to react differently to this, mm-hmm. but you lost your mom and you can't get another mom. Mm-hmm. You know, I can and did get remarried. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of ways I have it easier. And mm-hmm. my youngest have actually found her and have to deal with that trauma. I'm not sure I could have done it. Yeah. And so when you talk about strength, I look at my kids as mm-hmm. being 10 times stronger than me. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. my oldest, you know, a year after her mom's death, announces she's transgender and has to go through everything she's going with. Mm-hmm. And she's way braver than I am mm-hmm. and way stronger than mm-hmm. I am. And they're mm-hmm. both super secure kids. Yeah. And it amazes me, but because their mother and I built that foundation and gave yeah. them that strength and it comes from being loved mm-hmm. is what I believe. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it makes me very proud and mm. happy to see them. Mm. I get a lot more joy seeing them happy than, than myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's yeah. super hard, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's all good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to make light of it and I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to over yeah. play it, but you know, I told someone the other day, like, you know, I've never been to war. Yeah. I'm a white male. Yeah. I have resources. I've never been beat, never been starved. Right. You know, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. I have a lot of trauma. Yeah. But who doesn't? Right. In our world, mm-hmm. I've had my fair share. Yeah. In the real world. I don't know. Yeah. Who am I to say? But I've also had benefits that most people will never have. Yeah. I mean, I think just knowing you the way I do, you, you do kind of come back to that a lot, you know, that 
you know, there's people out there that have it worse, that you're very fortunate in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think you've had more than your fair share, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, I think the other thing that, you know, just comes to mind is, you know, I listen to you talk about your kids because, you know, you're, you're a, if, if people don't know you, you know, you're a no bullshit kind of guy. You're not, you know, some like immediate first impression, warm and fuzzy, yeah. lovey, <laughs> you know, guy, but you are so loving. You really are, you know, to your kids, especially um, that love that you have for them. And the way that you have, you know, embraced the role of being a father is no doubt, you know, what I think of when I think about, you know, that who am I question, you know, your essence, you know, at, at your, at your essence, you are love. And, and I think that shows up, you know, not just with your kids, Greg, I think that's part of why you're really successful at your job today you know, and, and in that chief of staff role, right? Like you have a deep love for the mayor, for the mission, you know, it wasn't just the drive that came from insecurity and need for validation. At a certain point you landed on a place of like passion, you know, right? Yeah. 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 I've, 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 you know, like I said, a lot of therapy, Mm -hmm. a lot of recovery, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and what I've landed on is, I don't, I don't know if I'm right. I'm not going to know until it's all said and done, but uh, I really want to, I go out of my way now to tell my friends, I love them. I go Mm -hmm. out of my way to, to thank people. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the thing I haven't gotten very good at that I'm working on is loving myself. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what holds me back from everything. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, you know, a lot of people would say, oh yeah, he's tough. He's, Mm -hmm. he's not emotional and this and that. And it's because I think, we're all born with this innate love and light. Mm-hmm. And, and I let that out at an early age and I was taught to put it back in. Mm-hmm. And so when I let it out, you know, it's hard for me because I, I feel like I'm going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being, being married again and being in a relationship where you're, you're fully immersed in being vulnerable and love and, and putting your life on the line again, it's scary. Sure. And even though intellectually, I know it's the best thing that could happen to me. And I have the best wife I could ever have. And, you know, I'll love her more than anything, but I don't always do the best job of communicating that because it's hard because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And she knows that. And we talk, I can, I can talk like that, but sometimes the, the raw letting go in my experience doesn't work out for me, but, but I can do things that can, position my children to be happy or her children to be happy or you to be happy or mm-hmm. someone else to be happy. I, I can make, you, yeah. I can do things that will right. help people. And I love watching people that are truly happy. Right. I unfortunately do not experience that very often and yeah. I'm okay with it. So I'd try to find my joy in being useful to others. Yeah. But I'm still a very selfish person. I don't mean to sound altruistic. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I get my joy out of others. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I got you. And, and I don't, I'm not going to take that away from you, but I feel like you have learned to be uh, happy some of the time. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and maybe yeah. more than, more than, you know, you had in the past. Yeah. Right. And that you are on that path, yeah. you know, and part of that happiness is in your marriage and 
in the music that we love yeah. and, you know, yeah. in writing, right. And in being of service to other people, you know, and, and, you know, I think you're, you're tough on yourself. I think that's, you know, part of what makes you who you are, right. That's part of that drive. Mm-hmm. And it's also being real honest and, and, you know, about, you know, kind of how you see things and there's probably a lot of truth in how you're seeing it too. And I think just, you know, knowing you through some of this journey, you know, I think you've landed at a place which is a lot happier than it was and, and, and like way happier, like way happier than I can imagine most people would be having gone through what you've gone through. Yeah. I sometimes forget and talking to you is, is helpful and talking to people, you know, I'm always torn between people or people are interested, um, but people, because of the manner in which my wife died, they're, they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I don't really talk about a lot, you know, yeah. my wife had died of cancer and everybody was mm-hmm. having benefits and doing all that. Everybody was still talking to me about, oh, you know, mm-hmm. but everybody just kind of shuts down. Yeah. And it's understandable. It's a very difficult thing to talk about. Yeah. And so you get torn between wanting to move on and then getting brought back. And what I've learned and I'm trying to be better at is to get taken back to that, to get taken back to my brothers, to get mm-hmm. taken back to everything and not be emotional, but mm-hmm. just to be who I am today and not go back to who I was then. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I can, I can be productive. If I go back to my old self, right. I fail. Right. And it's not that, I don't think it's that you can't be emotional, It's but it is that you don't want to be that old version of yourself, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You want to show up as this version and be with those things as they are, were. And, you know, I think uh, I, I want to talk about a couple more things before we wrap up, but um, uh, one of them is, you know, the work that you're doing now and, and mm-hmm. you know, the CDC, the city, which is a lot, you know, easier to talk about, but I, I do think that it's important that, uh, this be heard because you're right. People are uncomfortable talking about things that are uncomfortable. And so, you know, you've come a long way and you've talked about therapy and recovery. And I just want you to, you know, maybe elaborate on how you've been able to do the work that you've done to be where you are. I mean, even, even just, you know, to be in a relationship again, um, to be remarried, to be a stepfather, Mm -hmm. right. You know, you didn't do that mindlessly, you know, you did that very intentionally, you know, you, you, even the way you talk about your relationship now, you know, where you communicate and where it's hard. I mean, all of that's very, front of mind for you. You're mm-hmm. conscious to it. Yes. Right. So that took a lot of work to get there. And I just want to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. When, so I had the good fortune of being able to go to a facility for a month and be inpatient. And that was after everything I've been through, it was actually nice to be left alone. I couldn't use my phone, couldn't do anything. So mm-hmm. it sucked. I, you know, I equate it to being like in a hospital that's like jail, certainly not jail, nothing like jail, but that same mm-hmm. feeling of being on someone's schedule and not having any anything to do and being around a lot of people that had no intention of getting help. And it was frustrating. There wasn't a lot of people that I could relate to other than the addiction. And, you know, but when I walked in, the guy said, you know, he's like, what's wrong with you? You know, I was, I just was despondent. 
and I was just really mad because I had grown up, you know, and I'm not here to talk about family or whatever, but you know, I knew my dad, his drinking prohibited him from being the person that, that he could have been. And, you know, and there I was, and I promised I'd never be like that. Mm -hmm. And so I said that to the guy and he just said, you're not like him, you're here. And that was the first step to like, you control this. And I just knew I was going to get sober. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that I was going to be the one in 12 or whatever they told me. Mm -hmm. I knew. And I took it very seriously. Mm -hmm. and I worked really, really hard. And I got out. I was living alone. I'd never been alone. Mm -hmm. Kids were gone. My daughter went to Savannah, dropped her off. Mm -hmm. I was scared shitless. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm in a place. It's not my home by myself, not drinking, didn't have a crutch. Mm-hmm. And I just would go to, you know, therapy and, and meetings and call friends and just, just stay as busy as I could. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was going to stay sober. Mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't going to drink. Mm. And uh, honestly, the first two years, it was, I don't really, I look back, it's horrible. I don't, I don't like thinking about it. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like, you know, I would have given anything to be with someone to be where I am. And then like anybody, you know, thanks to you, my current wife, Brett, introduced me to, and I'm forever <laughs> grateful. And she is the best. And, uh, you know, she had been married before and, and we shared a lot in common and her kids were definitely her number one priority and she had never brought anybody in and didn't want to bring anybody in unless she knew. And we knew real quick, but we also knew from my experience growing up and her with her children that the kids were first and mm -hmm. my kids were gone. So, you know, we, we, even though, you know, everybody has a different perspective from our perspective, we did it in a way that disrupted their lives as, as much as we could limit. We mm -hmm. didn't want them to feel like this was their issue. This was something we chose. This was something they didn't choose. Mm -hmm. So we were very clear about what we needed to do. And that's really hard. Yeah. It was really hard. And then yeah. COVID hit and yeah. she went to work and I stayed home and her kids were home and it was, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm yeah. sure I was a lot. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. But it was yeah. hard, yeah. but you know, Sunday night, you know, my kids are in Philadelphia and Savannah and Sunday night, uh, my birthday was yesterday. So she had her mom and my stepmom and two of her girls there and their boyfriends. And I thought we were just having dinner and she threw a little birthday party for me. And it, and it, you know, she told me afterwards, like, you don't think you have family, but you do. And that was the first time as part of this new yeah. merger that I actually saw the future in a way that I wanted to see it. Yeah. She was right. And, yeah. and I was feeling bad about my kids not being there. And yeah. But you got to take what you got. If someone's willing to love you and someone's showing up and she said they wanted to be there because it was my birthday, not because of, you know, I just thought we were getting together. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was really nice. Yeah. And I yeah. felt like, Hey, I'm loved. Yeah. And going back to what I said about being in that condo, I didn't feel anything but broken and I'm still broken, but I'm okay. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's anything, you know, mm -hmm. knock on wood that could ever put me down where I was. Yeah. Yeah. It'll set me back, mm -hmm. but I'm never going to question my path or my faith or mm -hmm. my decisions anymore. Yeah. I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. I just want to see it to the end. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you, you're doing that, Greg. And, you know, what a nice thing, you know, to feel loved. Yeah. You know, and to see your life, you know, in the way that it is and the way that it's possible, you know, and this, you know, ending being something that you create to be what you want it to be, yeah. you know, and, and you're doing that, you know, and you're co-creating it now, you know, with Liz, but you know, the whole thing is a, 
is is a creation you know that that you're the mastermind of and you're making it happen and you know maybe that's my view of it you know maybe it's it's not just you it's you know in connection with all things you know god um but it is happening you yeah. know and it's and it's nice to be able to see it yeah, yeah it is it's very nice and and uh you know i get a lot of people that that tell me how happy they are and you know it's nice mm-hmm. i'm not going to lie like mm-hmm. i used to <laughs> not like to be complimented in things but mm-hmm. i i am proud of where i came from yeah. I, I am proud that i stood Good. tall for my kids Good. and you know and i'm yeah. i think someday you know it'll all it'll all it'll all be okay yeah 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 and i think that feeling of pride is a form of self love yeah you know yeah um, to be able to say that there's got to be some you know love there yeah you know you're feeling all right so let's talk about your current role yeah you know and and, and it's tough transition you know <laughs> you've shared so much and i am just really appreciative yeah for yeah. all of it and uh i do want to talk about what you're doing at the city today because you know it's funny it's just thinking about like you know your path and i don't know how you feel but like it sure seems like the job you're in now, I don't, I look at it as like kind of a dream job, yeah, you know, I is. mean, you have such an ability to make an impact on this city and you've worked your whole career doing that. But now you, you know, you've got a pretty specific role that, you know, is, is kind of fun, you yeah, know, it's great. so just talk about it. Sure. Yeah. So the Columbus Downtown Development Corporation, it's really just a creature of the city designed to do their development a little more nimble, work with folks like yourself or other developers in the private sector, work with the Columbus Partnership, Kay McDonald, and those larger companies. My board is a 15-member board. Most of them are partnership members and community leaders. And so what I have had the good fortune of is Mayor Ginther put me there. My first chair was Mayor Coleman. So we had a really good working relationship. My current chair is Alex Fisher. I had stopped over in the partnership in between the city and CDDC. So we all know each other very well and work well together and share a common vision. And when Mayor Ginther appointed me, what he wanted downtown to become was more of equitable in the sense that you could, anybody that wanted to live there could live there. I think historically, nobody lived there. Mayor Coleman did a great job of getting people to move there and Mm -hmm. to get it up to 11,000 people. But a lot of those units are on the higher end. And, and, you know, our goal was to get people that work in the hospital or firefighter schools to be able to live downtown if they wanted to live downtown, get young people to live downtown and add that vibrancy. And so that's really the lens we're looking at. We're trying very hard to get workforce and affordable housing. And that's, that's been a big push. As you know, it's super expensive. And we need to figure out as a community collectively how we're going to fund that. It's not something that you just say. I mean, there's a reason people don't do it. They can't, and no one's going to build to lose money. And so I think that recognition has gone from just the nonprofits who are trying to do the right thing and have limited funds to the whole community now sees workforce housing as a key, especially with Intel coming. I think there's a, a housing shortage. Downtown can certainly be used to fill that. We can go high. We can build quick. We can get density if we need more density. We have the Sayota Peninsula, which is the area behind Kosai. If anyone's driven by there, we've got a great mixed-use development going in there. That city-owned property that they've allowed us to develop on their behalf. Very proud of that. We run the Columbus Commons, which has picnic with the Pops and over 200 free entertainment 
throughout the year, again, to bring everybody down that has a chance. We're redoing the Saddle Mile Fountain that we're really excited about. That's been a collection of everybody in central Ohio comes there to use that. We want to activate the river more. They did a great job of beautifying the river and it looks wonderful, but we don't necessarily have a lot to do down there. So we're going to try to get free, reduced cost activities, kayaking to get people excited about being on the river. And so really that's just it. We try to connect everybody similar to what I've always done, which is you have an idea and you come to the city or me and it's downtown and ask me to get involved. And between all the people, we can usually land at a place that, that works. And I think that's where, you know, I'm very blessed to have a great staff. I don't, I don't do the work. I just help connect dots. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's to your point earlier, it, all the jobs I had seem very random, but when I'm in this job, which is the best job, you know, like, the best job I'll ever have would be chief of staff from Mary Ginther, but in terms of the best job and difficulty and enjoyment, this would be the best yeah. job I'll ever have. So yeah. <laughs> I want to be clear that, yeah. I, you know, it, that took its toll. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Personally, oh, this yeah. doesn't do that. Right. And it's very rewarding. And, and yeah. uh, I was born and raised here, man. So I yeah. remember, you know, I wanted to see a concert. Yeah. I had to drive to Blossom. Right. You know? Now we got Nationwide Arena and we got the crew and yeah. we got the Blue Jackets. And again, I have the ability to look back. Yeah. So to me, Columbus is great and it's only going to get greater. Yeah. And, and we're the next great American city. I really believe that. I think we're going to keep growing. I think downtown's going to kill it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm super excited. Yeah. Couldn't be happier. And I'm working with all the people who have the same passion and, and thoughts about Columbus. So I'm lucky. Yeah. Well, you know, and Columbus is lucky that you're in that role. And, you know, I can just say that, you know, from experience, you know, I think that uh, you do have a passion and you have a vision and an ability to connect the dots, which is not something to underestimate you know i think the the dot connecting and the relationship i'm building and you know the experience of working with you has you know people like me and others you know wanting to do stuff together yeah you know and and that's you know that's like part of who you are that's a skill that you have and it and it really helps in achieving the outcome but yeah it's fun to be able to really have an impact on the city that you love yeah. and create the place that you want to be, you know, and, and it's, and it's not for you. It's that you're not alone. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's how I feel about, you know, what we're doing here is yeah. just trying to, you know, build the environments that I would have liked to have had and that I'd love for others to be able to experience. And, and if that could be how our city is thought of yeah. and known and experienced, uh, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Know? And we use, we use you as a, as a model all the time because people say, well, you can't do that or you can't do this. And, you know, the peninsula that we're developing is, is in Franklinton, but certainly much easier to develop than where you developed. And I was working with you at the city when you developed this and, you know, I think you deserve a lot of credit for, for what Franklinton is and what this has become and what we're building on, but we're all in it together. And yeah. I was here before you when I was at the city and it yeah. just, we share that belief that we can do what we want. We want to, you know, believe, I think we can do it. Yeah. It's just a matter of not letting the people that say you can't do it because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Step aside and, and, and let people that are willing to do it, do it. Yeah. I think that's right, Craig. You know, I think that, I mean, the part of like, we can do it, you know, uh, and there were many people here long before me and 
I think the thing that I've always liked about working with you, and we, we probably haven't even done that much business together, really, you know, but the, you know, for people listening, like, you know, this is Greg and I are just friends really, you know, and if we do any business together, it's sort of a bonus, you know, but I do truly know, and, and, you know, people kind of get weird about this stuff too, but like without Mayor Coleman, without Mayor Ginther, really getting that, like what I was trying to do would be good for the Mm -hmm. city and that they wanted to help, you know, and that you got that and were able to, you know, talk to others who, uh, you know, needed to understand it and then did, and then got behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that, that is the only way this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen on its own, no matter who you are, what kind of idea you have or how smart you are, how Mm -hmm. much money you have. If you don't really get like-minded people together to support one another, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. And you know, you've done that your whole career and, you know, and, and so of the others we've talked about and, I do think we're all in this together. You know, if we're going to build this city, if it's going to be what we want it to be, it's going to have to be uh, collaborative and, and, you know, supportive of one another and, you know, groups like CDC and and the partnership and Kenny and, you know, the council and mayor, I mean, everybody has to come together to do it. hundred percent. So anyway, well, thank you for taking the time to share everything and to be with me as always, you know, it's just uh, great to be with you. And I just am so appreciative uh, for who you are in the world, you know, and, and all aspects of your life, you know, sincerely, it's just great to be your friend and, and happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> Sorry it. Sorry about that, but I missed your birthday, but happy birthday. Thank you. You were, you were very right. We were, we were friends first and foremost, and definitely when I went through everything, you were a good friend and I appreciate it very much. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.